Bible Podcast, a podcast that brings together a love for good beer and Bible discussion. You on Twitter at Beers and Bible P1. You can also email us at podcast at gmail.com. If you enjoy what you hear on Beers and Bible, please consider leaving a five star rating at Enjoy what you hear on Beers and Bible. Please. Whoever drinks beer, he is quick to sleep. Whoever sleeps long does not. Just let us drink beer. So let's join our hosts, Rick and Patrick, for this discussion. Welcome to episode number 59 of the Beers and Bible podcast. I am Rick. And I am Patrick. And we are happy to be back with you for this 59th episode of Drinking Beer and Talking About the Bible. So I explained to a lady that I work with, what we're because we were talking about social media accounts, uh-huh. and I explained to her, like, I've got a second account on Instagram, and she said, well, what do you, what's your second account? And I explained it to her, and she's like, that's kind of an interesting concept. Everybody, I've said that to some people and they always say, man, that sounds like a really good idea. I'm like, well, you should go listen to the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not, I don't, I, I mean, I didn't tell her any other information about it because I'm not sure how well she would do it keeping a secret. <laughs> not that it's a secret. Like if it got out at this point, I don't know if our listeners can tell, but um, I'll go ahead and say this, I guess. And if we want to, if you want to back up and cut this out later, we can. <laughs> we have both moved on from our church jobs. <laughs> yes. So, yes. Um, we are no longer at our church jobs. Yeah. And in so, fact, so fun, fun, th- fun fact here, fun thing that happened last week. Fun I think, yeah, it was, fact. Maybe it was two weeks ago. Episode 57. Um, I mentioned the, one of the podcasts, we talked about one of the podcasts, the recovering fundamentalist podcast. Now I'm going to tag them in this one too. So maybe we'll get some. Yeah. 57 will be a high listen. 59 will be a high listen. Yeah. 58 will, will taper off probably. That's right. So, so we tagged them. I tagged them in a, in a social media post. And one of the guys from the podcast actually messaged us through, through Instagram was like, Hey, it was, you know, cool to listen to your podcast. And why do your voices sound so strange? <laughs> Because we're like, remaining well, anonymous for reasons we're not really sure of at this point. I think I think what probably happened is we got you know so many episodes in and then things changed, but we, we just kind of kept rolling, just with rolling with it. Maybe at some point we'll reveal ourselves. I know we keep kind of saying that. Um, at least for me, at this point, there's no reason to remain anonymous. But I'm not about to reveal myself. So ha, gotcha. Yeah. Um, I will say this, they're the uh, Re- Recovering Fundamentalist group, this is going to come out like two weeks into it, um, but they're doing a ho- the whole month of October, they're featuring anonymous accounts. Dude. So Dude. I think they have like Lloyd Legalist is coming on. That's amazing. Um, the episode that dropped yesterday, maybe, maybe it was yesterday or today, um, is the IFB Preacher Clips, mm-hmm. which is kind of one of the most famous ones. Lloyd Legalist, and I think they got Church Curmudgeon. Oh, dude. I think so. I love if they got church curmudgeon, I, I'm I'm gonna love that episode. So, but they've got these anonymous accounts that they're going to be interviewing over the next few weeks. So that's really cool. 
Yeah, go give them a listen because they have a really good podcast over there, and and one of the guys listened to one of ours. I hope they will go back and listen to a bunch of ours. And anyway, that, next that was October, a shameless plug. Next October, when they do their anonymous account interview thing, they'll have us back on. So <laughs> maybe they will. We'll see. I doubt that very much, honestly. So anyway, but so Rick, how are you doing? Yes. Man, I am. I am busy. I'll tell you that it's it has been uh busy and crazy at work and and it's just I feel like I've been going nonstop. Um had a few days off, took that time to relax a little bit with my wife. We left our kids with the grandparents and, and uh just had a few days away. We hadn't had that in a while, so uh that was good and now we're back and you know, inevitably before you go on vacation, you're really busy. After you come back from vacation, you're really busy. So that's what this week's been for me. How about you? Well, you know, work has been just, I mean, it's just been kind of a work work week. I mean, <laughs> it, I I don't want to get into too much detail because it would sound like a downer, but I'm just kind of like feeling bleh about my work <laughs> right now. Um, it happens. You go through seasons like that. Well, at what point does the season just become the norm is my question. Because <laughs> it's been going on for a while. Um, no, it's good. And things are good at home. Uh, if you're a listener to the podcast, you know that we moved into a new home. Uh, in the, uh, what's that been? Three weeks, I guess now. So we're uh, we're getting things settled in. The main living area looks like people live here on purpose. The <laughs> bedrooms and the kitchen kind of look like the upstairs room where I'm recording this right now looks like a storage unit is what it looks like. So um, at some point, That's it'll what be upstairs a storage unit. For, though. Exactly. At some point, it'll be a storage unit with like a desk and a TV console set off to the corner. Because it's also supposed to be my main cave, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> when you have extra storage, that's where all your stuff goes that you're not it's using. A true store. So, anyway, but uh, it, we're good, man. It's uh, things are good. Where our business has been really hit or miss the last couple of weeks and months, really. Be, I mm. guess I'm assuming because of COVID. Um, <laughs> Blame, blame COVID for everything at this point. I really will. <laughs> Why is this bill late? Uh, COVID, man. I don't know. Um, and now we're getting into what is is traditionally a slower season for our company. Yeah. And um, I'm just kind of interested to see how the next couple of months are going to go. So, But uh, things are good. I still I get to get up and go, go to work. I've watched baseball at work the last two days. Nice. During the middle of the day because my team plays at 12 in the afternoon for a playoff game for some reason. <laughs> Figure out who my team is on that one. There you um, go. But uh no, we're good. It's it's been a it's it's been a good transition for us personally. I know work is just going to be work whenever, so no matter where you go, work is work, so. That's right. Um but yeah, let's get into it tonight. Let's go. What beer do we have there, Patrick? So tonight we are going back to the Sweetwater Brewing Company. It has been a long time since we since we visited their tap. It's um, almost Christmas time. Yeah, we're we're talking like we're in episode fifty nine now. This is back at episode twenty three that we last had a Sweetwater beer. Um, but tonight we are drinking um, uh, the Sweetwater four twenty strain Mango Kush Wheat Ale. I think so I'm this is for all right. the pot smokers. 
I think I'm saying that right. Mango Kush. <laughs> that um, is right. Um, so it's a five percent ABV. It's got thirty IBUs. Um, the bottle is really cool. It's got like if you know Sweetwater, their four twenty strain has that fish skeleton logo on it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, there's another four twenty strain of Sweetwater that I've had that the name is escaping me, and I don't. I'm not going to be able to pull it up because their website's not really conducive to that. But just trust me, it's really good. Um, but this one, it it's really simple. It's got like a cool orange color. If you if you know who I am, you know that I appreciate the color orange very much. Um, so let's see. There, it's a year-round available thing. Um, it's American wheat packed with herbal, juicy mango notes and a distinctive dank nose is what That's it says. Right. That's, That's amazing. Right. <laughs> um, so I have I have actually had a couple of people who listen to the podcast say that we should try this one. Okay. Um, and allegedly, I'm, I'm going to say allegedly, when you crack it open, you should get a whiff of what smells like pot. Okay, cool. I have heard that. So I, we're, cool. we're going to find out. Short. So, so <laughs> the one that I've had, the 420 strain that I've had, is the G13 IPA. Uh-huh. That one was really good. I really enjoyed that one. And that was really before I got into, I say got into, that I started to not turn my nose up at IPAs. <laughs> um, before you were a snob? Yeah, before I was a snob. So let's um, let's crack these things open and see what happens. Let's um, do it. The Sweetwater Mango Kush Wheat Ale. The one. Mango Kush. Here we go. And one, two, three, crack. Get to shoot my cap out. Pow. Dude, that smells like something. That is... Not that I would know what pot smells like. So, honestly, I don't think I've ever intentionally been around any... I don't have a glass, so I'm not, I'm not going to be able to pour mine up. I don't have a frosted glass, and I wasn't going to risk it there, so... Um, I don't know really what pot smells like. I don't, I've never been around someone knowingly who has recently smoked pot. Yeah. So I, I work at a business that is, um, notorious for potheads. Well, um, we, we're in a community that is known for its drug use. Our business is in a community that's known for its drug use. And so, we have had multiple people come in and put their joint out as they walk in to the business. <laughs> yeah. And and so uh, I have unnecessarily smelled it. Do they smell like this? Um. So it's not. Well, so yes. Yes, they do. <laughs> <laughs> I love how you're trying to explain it off like, no, not real. Well, actually... Yeah, never mind. They do. <laughs> yes. basically the this this is like um, they smoked and then tried to spritz on some fruit flavor before they walked in. That's what this smells like. <laughs> it smells good. Um, I like an ale. Um, I'm kind of glad to not be doing an IPA again. Um, yes. it's been a couple of weeks since we did one, but not doing it one was for a while. Quarter week last week. This time we got the wheat ale going on. Mm-hmm. This thing smells good. So, I think we should turn them up and see how good it tastes. What does it look like? I, again, I didn't pour it out. So, here's what it looks like. It's it's just got that clear okay, okay. clear ale look to it. It's clean looking. Um, 
mine foamed up pretty well. Yeah, got a decent head on it, but it's, it's kind of settled it's, settled down. It's got a very distinctive smell. That's all. That's I yes. Mean, that is interesting. So it definitely has the dank smell. If you if you know what dank is, it definitely has that smell. That's the that's the smell of pot is dank. Okay. So when someone says that's dank, they're really referring to their weed references. Cool. Yes. Yes. Good to know. So all right. So here we go. Let's do it. Turn them up in three, two, one, go. Mm. That's that's a little bit lighter than I thought it was going to be. That's really good. That's actually that's actually really good. Oh, that aftertaste is fantastic. Yeah, it is. Mm. So you can definitely taste the mango flavoring. And it's almost got the aftertaste of something similar to a blue moon, but it's not quite there. It's not that wheat, not Mm -hmm. that wheatish. Dude, it tastes like the initial taste to me is like you took a mango skin and all and just bit it like an apple <laughs> like that's how good the mango flavor is to yeah me. it is a good it is a good blend of mango flavor in there it's not overpowering because mm-hmm. if you get too much mango you can you can almost like it almost becomes not good like i'm not a huge fan of mango by itself but just a light mango flavor I'm pretty good. I think we talked about this with the Camp on a Mango. I, I like the idea of the mango fruit. <laughs> yeah. And I will periodically buy them, but then I'm not really ever sure what to do with them. So they just kind of sit for like three or four weeks and then we throw them away. Like <laughs> twice a year, that will happen. I'll, I'll be like, you know what's good? Mango. And we'll get it. And then I don't know what to do with it. And then you have like this like mushy fruit on in your fruit bowl. It's like worse than bananas. It's yeah, <laughs> because it, it's been sitting there for like two weeks, and you're like, uh, it might be ripe, and you go to squeeze it, and it just like, in your hand. <laughs> <laughs> so all that to say, this one is really, this beer is really, really good. <laughs> all that to say, this mango flavor is actually really, really pleasant. Yes. So where are you where are you going to come in on this thing, Patrick? How are you going to rate this? I was flirting with the idea of five. <laughs> Look at the bottle right under the barcode. Uh, contains, contains no, no hip. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, seriously. You can't, you can't smoke this. No, you can't. I was flirting with the idea of five when I initially drank it. Um, I think I'm actually going to come in at four and a half Luthers. Okay. Um, the mango flavor is really good. The Again, it's not overpowering. Um, it's maybe just a touch to not bitter, but like spiky, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Like almost like a cider. Yeah. It's, it's almost, it's almost got like a little, like a little extra burn, which I typically really, really like, but in a sweet mango beer, I'm not really looking for that. Yeah. So, like, again, the mango flavor is excellent from beginning to end. Even the aftertaste of the mango is still really good. Um, it really does taste like you're sucking on a mango peel for a minute. <laughs> like, I, I'm not, I don't think I'm exaggerating with that at all. So, um, I just wish it had a little less of that 
it's almost like an, an, an acidic bite to it. Yeah. Yeah. So I wish there was a little less of that. Other than that, this is a phenomenal beer, and I'm going to give it four and a half out of five Luthers. Well, we will be in the same company tonight because I am also going to come in at four and a half out of five Luthers. Um, I was expecting this to be a little bit more uh, kind of like a Blue Moon, just with a different flavor. Mm-hmm. Um, because they said it was a wheat ale, and to me, it's it doesn't have the heaviness that Blue Moon has with it, um, and and so to, it's almost like the perfect combination between a light summery type ale and a and a Blue Moon. Mm. The flavor of it gives it gives it more for me, and so yeah. so that that mango does just kind of top it off nicely. It gives it a nice nice fruity flavor. The texture of it is really good. It's mm-hmm. smooth. I definitely see where you're what you're saying about the bite. Mm-hmm. Um, I can I can taste that and I can kind of feel it. Um, but and, yeah, yeah. And for me, that bite was just a little off putting for for yeah. a beer that starts out so sweet. Anyway, um, yeah. If you're drinking a cider, you're expecting a bite. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you're yeah, drinking yeah. an ale, you're not really expecting it. And so when it's there, you're kind of like, eh, I don't know about that. Yeah. What do you think? So you, I know you kept like referencing wanting to compare it to blue moon do you think an orange slice or an orange wedge would be good in this um it could i mean mangoes and oranges i don't know how well i don't maybe not maybe i was just trying to think of a way to like bridge the gap between this and blue moon yeah i'm wondering if it would i'm wondering if an orange slice might might tame that bite a little bit might be worth trying yeah see what happens Maybe. But you also don't want to mess up a good four and a half Luther beer either. True. <laughs> so that you know is good. Yeah. I know historically I have said, like, I don't like putting stuff in beer. And now I'm thinking back to, like, this past week. I We bought um, a six-pack of Corona. Well, you have to put something in that well, to make well, it drinkable. So here, here's what we did. We made uh, this thing called micheladas. What? Yeah, micheladas. Um, it's like Clamato and Corona. And Worcestershire, and like it's like a it's like a savory alcohol drink. It's pretty good. Um, <laughs> then we had Corona left over because I wasn't gonna just get one. And then I was drink. I was I drank a Corona during the pandemic. Yes, I am that guy. <laughs> um, but I was like, this is. Do we have any fruit to put in this? And we had, and actually had lime. So any beer you have to you have to put something in to make it better is probably something you want to steer away from. I'm just wondering if putting fruit in this beer from Sweetwater would help push it over the edge yeah. a little bit. It's still it really might. good. It's not like it's a bad beer like a plain Corona would be. Yeah. No no Sweetwater, we're not comparing you to Corona. We would never do such a horrible thing. No, we would not. <laughs> we should do, you know, we should do we should do a like a tournament style big box like big box <laughs> beer tournament and seed the beers like one to eight or one to four or something like that and put them up against each other and see what happens yes we should if we could do it if there was a way to do it blind but then we'd have to get like help from our family or something to get us yeah i don't know anyway whatever so sweet water mango kush you're enjoyable, really good. Four and a half Luthers from both uh, Rick and Patrick. Mm-hmm. And uh, now we're going to keep on moving. We're going to truck on into our discussion. We're still talking about the Bible. 
going to spend a couple more weeks, probably a few more weeks on this topic. And tonight we're going to kind of dive into a comparison of the Bible and some, I guess you could say, big religious books. Um, we're we're definitely going to talk about the Jewish Bible. We're definitely going to talk about the Quran. Uh, we may go a little bit further than that. We're just going to see where the conversation goes. But uh, but yeah, so we're going to move on into that. So stick around. We will be right back. Enjoyed our review of the Mango Kush Wheat Ale from Sweetwater, and now we're going to dive into our discussion um, from the 77 Frequently Asked Questions About God and Christianity book that we've been kind of we've been kind of popcorning through, picking topics here and there. We're not going to hit all of them, I don't think. Um, but tonight we're going to discuss um, two kind of. I don't think misunderstood is the right word, but two topics that don't, I'm trying to think of how to put it. They're similar enough, but they're vastly different. Yeah. Um, So we're going to talk about the difference between the Christian Bible and the Jewish Bible. And then we're also going to talk about the difference between the Christian Bible and the Quran. Potentially another topic after that, but we'll see where, where we're at when we get through with what we're yeah. talking about. We'll so. see how long this goes. We don't want it to be too long, so we're going we're gonna to try to keep it under wraps. But yeah. We've had a few long long episodes. So is there a difference between the Bible, as as Christians read it, and the, the Jewish version of what they would call the Bible, which is really just the Old Testament? So it depends on your definition of difference, I think. Is there a difference in content? Is there a difference? I mean, the way they read how the prophecies of like the coming of Jesus, for example, um, yeah, how that is read is pro- is probably a little bit different. Um, the overall content is not different. Mm-hmm. Um, they do. We were talking about this before. They categorize things a little bit differently than say the Protestant Christian Bible categorizes mm. or organizes uh, some of the books of the Old Testament. And so, um, you know, the texts are the same. They're just a little out of order. Yeah. And, and it's, it's really interesting to, to think about the way that the Jewish Bible actually is organized Mm-hmm. And I haven't done enough research into it, but th- there is, if you actually put the put the Old Testament books in the order of the Jewish Bible, they, they say that it makes a little bit more sense. Like, everything seems to kind of just flow. Like, if you read the Old Testament now, it kind of just seems like this haphazard. You have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, De- uh, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and those make up the Torah, or, or what we call the law. Mm-hmm. Um, then you have, you know, Joshua Judges, Ruth, Esther, these these books that are kind of this random storytelling, the Chronicles, the Kings, uh, Samuel. And then you jump from those books into 
Psalms and Proverbs and Job, which are wisdom literature. You've got Ecclesiastes, Lamentations, all that's kind of right there in the wisdom literature stuck in the middle. And then at the end of that, you have uh, just a bunch of prophets, which nobody ever reads. After you get past, like, really Proverbs, people don't, don't read Daniel, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, mm-hmm. Mount, you know, these books, they don't necessarily read a lot. And, and you know, except to cherry pluck that one uh, Bible verse out of there that they like, you know, that makes right. them feel good and warm and fuzzy out of context, which we talked about that a couple of weeks ago about, you know, pretext and context and proof texts and all that fun stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the foundation, the, the actual texts of the Jewish Bible and the old Testament, we, what Christians would call the old Testament are very, very similar. They're very, very close. There, there may be a couple of just little tweaks, little things in there, but it's nothing life-altering. It doesn't change the meaning of a book or anything like that. It's just read a little bit differently. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you have that, and, and you have this, this idea of the Jewish Bible being different because, you know, and, and that's where a lot of people say, well, you know, Jews aren't Christians because they reject the New Testament. No, Jews aren't Christians because they reject Christ. That's, mm-hmm. you know, and, and they they rely strictly on the Old Testament, what we right. would call the Old Testament. But uh, they believe that the, the Messiah has not yet come. Right. And so so the interesting part is, has, their, has the way that they read it, and, and this would be, uh, I think, a point for Christians to kind of learn, learn from, is, is the way that they read it, does that lead them to believe that there's something about Jesus that, that he's not the Messiah? You know, mm-hmm. the way we read the Old Testament, everything points to Christ for us. Mm-hmm. And if you're a Messianic Jew, everything points to Christ. Not, you know, that, I think that's a conversation to be had. Yeah. And, and I would love to have more of that conversation. It's not something right. that I've, I've had time to look into, but, mm-hmm. but how does a, how does a Jewish person read that, read the Old Testament and why do they read it differently than the way us as Christians read it? Yeah. And I, I, that was a question that I was going to ask, too, is how do those two go hand in hand? Because, you know, like you said, we read the Old Testament and it, to us as believers in Jesus, it points to the coming of Jesus. It points to mm-hmm. the prophecies. Like Isaiah is like the bulk of Isaiah prophesies about the birth of Jesus. Yeah. In the life of Jesus and the death, crucifixion, like, like it all does that. And so when a, when a, not a messianic Jew, I don't, I don't want to say legit Jew. That sounds weird, <laughs> but like when a practicing Jew reads Isaiah 40, mm-hmm. how do they, how, how could they possibly read that and not, and then not read the accounts of Jesus or, and then read the accounts of Jesus and not think, you know, Jesus, Jesus might be, might be the guy and want to look into that more. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I think a lot of it has to do with, um, really, I mean, really and truly, if you look at the new Testament, the Jews were looking for a very specific type of Messiah mm. and it is, it's one who was a conquering political adversary who overthrew the kingdoms of this world. Okay. Um, you know, and so they're looking for that. And, and, you know, without trying to dive too far into politics, there are several 
large political foundations or whatever that are heavily influenced by practicing Jews. Mm-hmm. And so they have an outsized influence a lot of times in politi- in the political arena because a lot, I mean, and, and honestly, if you tie that back to the New Testament, you see why they still do that. That's, that's kind of their, their bent or their draw. They want that political influence. They mm-hmm. want that, you know, they want to say that they're the rulers and that's where they believe for right or for wrong, that's where they believe their their Messiah is going to come from. It's going to be a political overthrow. It's going to be a worldly overthrow. And and I think time and time again, Jesus pointed to the fact that, no, that's never what was the intention. You may have read that, but that was never the intention. And he, you know, a lot of times he specifically pointed that out in the, in the differentiation between the oral and the written law or Torah. Right. Um, talk about that just a little bit, because that was pretty interesting inside the questions uh, when those guys talked about it. Yeah, so, um, you know, traditionally, you, you've got the written law, and, and the law was written down over the course of thousands of years. Um, the Old Testament was written down. Jesus would have read and written, read and taught from the written uh, written law. Mm-hmm. But then you have the Jewish religious leaders who quoted the oral Torah, Um and these were passed down generation to generation orally. They weren't written down. They weren't um, recorded any other way except orally. Um, and then you have the Fer- the Pharisees are teaching that the oral law carries the same authority as the written law. Mm-hmm. Um, but then we have this really interesting, um, really interesting dialogue in Mark seven, where Jesus talks to the Pharisees about the oral law and he basically says you guys are ignoring what God has written down and are substituting the oral law in uh, in its place and you've like Jesus says you've skillfully sidestepped God's law in order to hold on to your own tradition mm-hmm. um, and, 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 and this isn't to say that Jesus was like condemning any aspects of the oral law he wasn't saying like you know, there's nothing about the, he wasn't saying nothing about the oral law is is worthy or nothing about the oral law is right, mm-hmm. but he was saying, you know, the way the Pharisees were holding the oral law and the written law together, like in the same, uh, to the same standard, to the same esteem. Mm-hmm. Jesus was saying the written law, the the scripture that God inspired to be written down, um supersedes any oral law that has been passed down no matter how long it's been passed down. Jesus basically saying, I don't care. I don't care if Abraham (laughs) said yada, yada, yada. If it wasn't written down, it it does not supersede anything that it was written down. Yeah. It it makes me think of, uh, you know, reading the readings or the writings of Paul reading the writings of Paul, you know, there, Paul had a lot more writings than the 13 books in the new Testament. Uh, the 13 books in the new Testament are a substantial amount of writing, but that was Paul writing under the whole, under the influence of the Holy spirit. The other times Paul is writing or he's, he's not writing under the influence of the Holy spirit. And, and so, or, or being directly inspired to write scripture under the influence mm-hmm. of the Holy spirit. So, you know, always make the joke, you know, you read, you read some of this stuff from Paul and you're like, come on, Paul, you're, 
you're getting a little far out there, man. And then you have to remind yourself, man, that's Paul and the Holy Spirit. Could you imagine what Paul was like when he's not on the Holy Spirit? Yeah. <laughs> that that raises an interesting question. You're talking about like Paul writing in the Holy Spirit sometimes and Paul not writing. Do, do you think like the writers, like, do you think Paul was aware when he was writing that this letter to Ephesus is going to be part of scripture for all of, for all of eternity? And then this other letter to, it, it might have been another letter to Ephesus, like parts. Yeah. Of, like, do you think he was aware that some of it was going to be scripture? Like, do you think the Holy Spirit was like, "Okay, Paul, this is important. Don't screw this up," or, <laughs> or, or, or what do you do? You think Paul was aware of that, or any other writers for you know, the Bible, for that matter? I don't know, um, because like, all right, so take for example, First uh, and Second Corinthians. Okay, there are actually four letters written to the church in Corinth. Two of them are considered to be divinely inspired and two of them are not. And so realistically, 1 Corinthians is more like 2 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians is actually kind of like 4 Corinthians. Um, if you're just dating letters. Okay. And and so it did Paul know? I have no idea. Um, but uh, I want to say... Maybe he was he was slightly aware, or he understood what was at stake. Sometimes, you know, when he's writing, because even in in his letters that are recorded in the Bible, he's he's clearly uh, trying to lead people to the to the point where he's saying, "Look, pay attention to what I'm writing here because this is important." Right. Or you know, in in the case of what uh, I think it's, um. Oh, I was just reading this earlier. I can't remember. It, so there's there's one of the books that he wrote where he's actually the people possibly could have thought that it was a forgery, and and he's like, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I know, you know, I know I wrote, oh, it's the Thessalonians, first, yeah, second yeah. Thessalonians. So he's like, you know, he tells him, he's like, pay attention to the way I write this because that's how you know it's me, right, 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 and that's yeah. how you know that I didn't, you know, this isn't something else or it's. You know, and, and he gives, there's certain times where he kind of gives special attention to his writings. Right. And so, he is, you know. It, it, I know what you're talking about. It was basically like Paul saying, like, you know, the, like, the manner with which I'm writing. You know yeah. that this is like, it was basically him signing it saying, this is, yeah. this is legitimately written by Paul the Apostle. Yeah. Not by yeah. Paul the fry cook or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and so, the fry cook. Because they had, they had fry cooks back then. Yes, they did. Um. But, but yeah, that's, and, and so I, I don't know if they like were completely aware, uh, you know, there's, there's different theories behind, um, the way that the Bible was written down. You know, some people believe that it's like this dictation thing where the authors went into a trance and just wrote and didn't know what they were writing. Um, I don't, I don't buy into that. Um, I think there's too much variance. If, if that were the case, it's, it's basically like dictation, mm-hmm. um, you know, if that were the case, I think you would see a consistent uh, writing technique throughout the whole of the New Testament, and it's pretty obvious that that's not the case. Um, and so, I hold to what's called uh, plenary verbal inspiration, which means that the Holy Spirit actually kind of it spoke to the people, and it said, "This is what needs to be written down." Was it every word, every jot, every tittle? I don't know that I would go that far, but it was definitely, this is what needs to be conveyed. And you need to convey this idea with these words and you need to say it this way. And it, mm. and it needs to be clear. Um, and so 
I, I do believe in the inspiration of both the Old and the New Testaments. And I do believe that the words that we, the 66 books that we have are uh, inspired by God and breathed out by God is what Second Timothy tells mm-hmm. us. And so um, that's where and that's where you end up getting some of these deviations that we're going to talk about over the next couple of weeks is how do we understand this? You know, the the Jewish Old Testament is not really something that we have to compare and go, where does it differ? Because it's essentially the same, you know. But if we t- if we flipped it over and talked about something like the Koran, mm-hmm. okay, now we're talking about a completely different book that has nothing to do with the Bible, um, but draws a lot from the Bible. And so... Um, you know, let's let's talk about the Quran for a second. So it's written by the Prophet Muhammad. Mm-hmm. Um, it's written in roughly, I think, like 600 A.D., somewhere around there. Yeah, the, right, it, says that, it says that it uh, began to be verbally transmitted through the angel Gabriel to Muhammad when he was 40 years old, which is in 610 A.D. 610, yeah. Okay. So 600 years after Christ, you have this new guy, Muhammad, who's writing it down. Uh, writing on this thing, and and we can talk about these other, you know, quote unquote holy books that were transmitted by an angel. You know, they're they're trying to draw on that inspiration style that the new that the New Testament claims, mm-hmm. um, and and they're but they're trying to do it a little bit differently. You know, the Book of Mormon does it, the Quran does it, the um, Jehovah's Witness have a book that does it, and and so every group that has their own sacred sacred writings mm-hmm. kind of has this claim. Um, the two that are very, very similar though, is going to be the Bible and the Quran there. You know, the Jewish people are monotheistic. Muslims are monotheistic. There's, there's one God in, in Judaism. There's one God in, uh, in Islam. Mm-hmm. And so, so you, there are a lot of similarities between the two, but there are also several differences. Um, and, and some of those are worth highlighting, you know, um, one major difference between the, the God or the, in, in the Quran is called Allah, uh, the God of the Quran and the God of the Bible is that the God of the Quran is a strategic and very strict monotheistic God that is one God. Mm-hmm. And he he's not one God in three persons. He is one God. There is no Trinity. And and if you ever talk to a Muslim um, as a Christian, one of the one of the things they're going to throw out at you to be ready for is they're going to say you're tritheistic. They're going to say you actually have three gods, and you don't you don't actually believe in one God. And you say no, I believe in one God. And they say no. Do you believe in the Father? Yes. Do you believe in the Son? Yes. Do you believe in the Holy Spirit? Yes. Do you believe they're all God? Yes. And they say, see, you have three gods. And and a lot of times talking with Muslims through the doctrine of the Trinity and what Christians actually believe about the Trinity is a great apologetic. And, and one of the guys who, who was swayed this way is a guy named Abdu Murray. Mm-hmm. Um, has, has, he was in Islam, um, and he actually used, he talks about using that, you know, he would talk to his Christian friends and be like, well, you're tritheistic and you just don't know it. And he said after studying the doctrine of the Trinity, that's when he began to see that that the the worldview the christian worldview was was the correct one and so so god used that used the study of the doctrine of the trinity in his life to con, to convert him from islam to to muslims but 
Um, let's talk real quick about what they list there in the book, the six basic doctrines mm-hmm. of of the Quran or of Islam. What are those yeah. six basic doctrines? So um, the Quran says these are these doctrines are uh, one, there is one and only one God. Two, there have been many prophets of God, including Abraham, Moses, Jesus, and Muhammad. Three, Allah created angels, which are referred to as uh, jinn. Uh, some being good and others evil. Four, the Quran is God's complete and final revelation. Five, the, a day of judgment for all is coming, followed by heaven for the faithful and hell for the infidels. And six, God has full knowledge of and exercises predestination or kadar over all that occurs in life. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of that sounds very similar yeah, to what we as Christians would believe. Um, it may be worded a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're, we wouldn't call those destined for hell infidels, or <laughs> um, we call them reprobates. But you know, yeah, <laughs> you know. But I mean, so are are any of these six inherently wrong? That was not a rhetorical question. Well, I, I'm, I'm trying. To, I'm trying to figure out where the trap is in your question. <laughs> I would never set a trap for you. What are you talking about? You set a trap for me on a weekly basis on the podcast. (laughs) So are they inherently wrong depends on your definition of prophet, of um, Allah, of, I mean, number four, number four as a believer, like, and that's as a believer, we can't like you, we cannot believe that the Quran is God's complete exactly. and final revelation. Yeah. Uh, number three, we couldn't say Allah created angels because we don't believe that the God of Allah is yeah. a legitimate God. Uh, yeah. Muhammad's not a prophet. The only, the one and only one God. That, yeah, that one. Yeah, good. <laughs> um, a day of judgment for all is coming. Yes, followed by heaven for faithful and hell for the they say infidel. Uh, we would say reprobate. Is that what you said? <laughs> yeah, you could say reprobate, blasphemer. Uh, I mean, anybody I mean, who does, if you don't confess Christ, you're essentially a yeah. blasphemer. So anyway, it's like, so. they're like, they're batting 500 out of these six. <laughs> like, like to me, they've, they've got three of them that would line up with yeah. similar or near or identical doctrines to Christianity. Yes. And then the other three are the pretty major red flags that yes. we would need to, dive into so this is where i like to draw the line uh for for a muslim um one of the things that they will they'll say is everything in the quran is is true okay and if you if you do a little bit of study on the quran um you will find that muhammad writes pretty favorably about the person of jesus um now he doesn't claim jesus is the prophet and that's the thing is he claims he is the prophet muhammad claims he is the prophet uh the the muslim religion the islam actually has i want to say somewhere close to 150 or 125 somewhere in that range prophets um in in their religion but all of those prophets are subservient to muhammad who is the prophet and and so he would say that Jesus is a prophet, and 
where I th- I like to go to because they say you know you, uh, as as Muslims if you're depending on where which side you fall and you have the Sunni and you have the Shiites and I believe it's the Sunnis that are kind of a little more mainstream they're not quite as you know let's kill everybody um, I'm pretty sure that's right but uh, they would say you know you should study the Bible and learn from the Bible you can learn great teachings from the Bible and they believe Jesus was a great teacher. And he was a prophet because he taught good things. Um, and so if that is the case, if they believe that about Jesus, and then you go and study the book where Jesus is written about, which would be the Bible, the New Testament specifically, and you come to John chapter 14, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me. Mm-hmm. I would think that that would immediately disqualify Jesus from being a prophet because he essentially just asserted himself into the spot where according to Islam, only the prophet Muhammad belongs Mm, Yeah, because Jesus is. And so if, if, if you're going to take Jesus at his word and say that, yes, we should study Jesus and his teachings are great. Well, he's claiming to be on the same authority as the prophet Muhammad. So, how can we trust him and learn from him if he's going to assert himself in that way? And then if you think about that, I mean, if Jesus asserts himself as God from the Muslim point of view, if Jesus asserts himself as God, then that uh, conflicts with the there's only one, there's one and only one God yeah. doctrine um, yeah. that is spoken if he, about. If other, they, other which they, you know, they don't believe Jesus was God. Yeah, and but, so that but, makes him a liar and somebody who's got a huge ego. <laughs> yeah, but here's the thing: if if you know if Muhammad if Muhammad writes to the way I understood the way you just explained it, Muhammad says to glean from the teachings is like learn about learn about the teachings of Jesus. Yeah, you go if a Muslim goes to the Bible and says and reads Jesus says I am the way the truth and the life. That's where the conflict is. Yes, he's okay. claiming to be God, and 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 so at that point there's a crossroads. At that, that point, that a Muslim yeah. would have to okay. I got, I, I'm, yeah, I'm you, tracking with you now. Okay, so yeah, you either have to say <sighs> either Muhammad was wrong for telling us to follow this Jesus who's kind of a lunatic, or Jesus is right. And Muhammad is still wrong, or Muhammad was just wrong, you know, it, or no religion is right. And <laughs> yeah, it's you. You end up in this kind of eternal crossroads when you when you conflict these worldviews like this. Yeah, and and a lot of times you'll find that that's where you can find the most. It's not about trying to debunk Islam. It's not about trying to um, say that Islam is stupid or something like that. You know, it's 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 too many times I see Christians saying, well, Islam is dumb and Islam is stupid. Okay, well, tell me why Islam is dumb and why it's stupid. Mm-hmm. You know, well, they they believe that you should kill everybody. Can you tell me where they believe that? You know, and, and you, you challenge them. But if you can actually get down to a core fundamental principle and say, now, hang on, I, I, I want to understand this principle right. And I want to make sure that I'm understanding. You challenge them. Mm-hmm. You make them think about their own worldview. That is where you're going to get into a good and meaningful conversation with someone who believes in the Quran. 
and why we as Christians believe that there is a huge difference between the Quran and the Bible. Mm-hmm. You know, um, uh, in that list of six, I think it's it's prescient to point out that uh, a lot of Islam is very works based. Right. Yeah, yeah. You know, everything is pre, and that's the that's the funny thing is everything is predestined in Islam, but you also have to do everything the right way to even be considered for for paradise. Right. You know, and so which they I, have, which I feel like those two ideas even contradict themselves because if they believe that God has full knowledge and exercises predestination over all that occurs, yes, then following that logic, it doesn't matter what you do. Yeah, it doesn't matter if you follow every rule to the T or if you don't. God is already predestined whether or not you're going to be in paradise or not. Yeah. And that's exactly what it is, is it is a, it is a works based fatalism, which is almost the worst kind that you can have because it's, you do all the works and if God still doesn't want you in paradise, sucks to be you, Yeah, you know, (laughs) um, and, and you know, that's where a, a lot of people accuse Calvinism of being fatalism and, and I disagree with that assessment, but if you want to, if you want to assert fatalism anywhere, you can assert it in the teachings of Islam. Mm-hmm. You know, but even even at the fatalism, they almost have this legalistic bent to it, where you have to say the prayers five times a day to be a good Muslim, and you have to do this, and if you're a woman, you have to wear a hijab, and there's all of these rules that if you don't follow them, you're not a good Muslim. Mm-hmm. You're, you're not a good follower of Islam, and so you end up in this fundamental difference between Christianity and Islam that can be found in their own writings. Right. You know, um, don't, don't try to criticize Islam with straw man arguments and arguments that are easily knocked down. Um, mm-hmm. If you're going to criticize something, criticize it with well thought out intellectual arguments that really, sit down and establish and challenge what their own writings say. That's you right. know the most effective, the most effective argument you can make is going to deal with their own writings. Right. So know the difference between the Quran. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I would encourage people to get a copy of the Quran and you know, for what it's worth, if it's an English copy, it's not inspired anyway. So, you know, you, you can double down on that one. You don't have to go learn Arabic um, but even Muslims who have English copies, those are not considered real Qurans. It's not a real Quran unless it's written in Arabic, and you can read it in Arabic. And and so, um, you know, know that difference. Know that difference between the Bible mm-hmm. and between uh, the Quran, and know why it's different and why that leads us to different belief systems. Does that make sense? Yep. Sweet. Well, I think we're going to pause it there, and and uh, we're going to say next week we're going to pick up and we're going to talk about Mormonism uh, and the difference between the Mormon Bible, and and then we will take it just a few minutes and and hit on the Catholic Bible next week, which will be which will be interesting. There's a lot to talk about when you when you comes to Mormonism and the difference between that mm-hmm. one. So yeah. Stick around and come back for next week. Do uh, it. Do it. Mango Kush, Do still it. getting a 4.5. 
It's a good buy. It's a, a good yeah, beer. It's good. Uh, if if you've got Sweetwater near you, try to go pick it. it up. Go do it. So something we're Rick and I are, or Patrick and I are trying to find. You were Rick. Is, I am Rick. We have we have heard rumors. We talked about this last year, but we have heard rumors that Yingling is going to re- do a wide release of their Hershey's Porter this year. Mm. Um, so because we are not in Pennsylvania, Praise we Lord. could not get it last year. Praise the Lord because it's cold up there. Um, no, I was saying praise the Lord for the release of the Hershey Yingling. also praise the Lord because they're supposed to be releasing it to their full distribution channel this year. So if you see it in a store and want to buy it and send it to us, message us and we'll give you an address to send it to. Or if you want, if you know who we are and see it in a store, buy it and send buy it to it us. Buy it and get it to us and we'll, <laughs> we will consider repaying you, but may not still do that. Anyway. Or Yingling, if you're listening to this Yingling, we will gladly take some and review it because we want to try it so desperately bad. We wanted last year and couldn't get to it. So, so here's here's the thing about the big box beers. We have traditionally said we're going to steer clear of those for this Ying for this Hershey Yingling. We will make an exception. Yes, if we can get our hands on it, we will review it on the podcast. Yes, we will. That's what we're going to try to do over the next couple of months is get our hands on the Yingling Hershey's Chocolate Porter. I'm going to go ahead and rate it now at four and a half Luthers. I'm going to go ahead and just say it's a five. It's. it's I just to- don't. I don't want to be disappointed <laughs> if it's not a five. It's my only concern. We're pre-rating at four and a half, hoping that it's going to be a five. So, so mm-hmm. well, Patrick, if they want to find us on uh, social media places, where would they do that? If you are on the social medias, you can find us anywhere you scroll. You can get us. You can get to us uh, on Instagram at beers and Bible underscore. You can find us on Twitter at beers and Bible P one. You can find us on Facebook by searching Beers and Bible Podcasts and looking for our logo that you see there and uh, whatever you're listening to this podcast on. And you can also email us. We are at Beers and Bible Podcasts at gmail.com. Reach out to us, discuss any, if you have any questions you'd like to, for us to talk about or any beers you'd like for us to try or if you just want to encourage us. That I mean, it's it's a little thing, but getting that encouraging word from the recovering fundamentalist guys this week, yeah, that really that <laughs> went a long way. I, I was like, man, I feel like someone somewhat famous is <laughs> listening to our podcast. So they they listened to it and they enjoyed it. Yes. Uh, so there you go. So um, at least one of them did. <laughs> hopefully they continue, and hopefully we continue to get a uh, more listeners. We we are enjoying doing this for all of our listeners and we would we would love to continue to do this for as long as people will listen to it so like and share like and share share and like so honest five-star reviews so until next week we hope you enjoy uh a couple of good mango cushions and we will see you later peace out if you enjoy what you hear on Beers and Bible, please consider leaving a f- rating review on your podcast platform to help us promote this podcast.